This is a test. So is this. This is also a test. You're listening to BBC One. This is... Before we fucked our world and went through with Brexit. Classic FM. G'day, listeners. G'day, listeners. Welcome to the Atkins. This is fucking Burke's backyard without the. <laughs> Give me a home gum <laughs> tree with lots of gum trees. A cockatoo no, no. and a barbecue. No, no, he was a fucking monster he and was. he should be forgotten. I know. Hello, listeners. Hello. Welcome to Atkins Labcast. I'm so glad we start our podcast with. Um, Episode number Dickity Dock. The cancelling of an asshole. Wasn't he just grumpy? Are you kidding? No, that was Russell Clark. Cr- Are Russell you Clark. kidding? What did he do? Okay, we'll talk about this later. Okay. I don't know what this fucking podcast is about. <laughs> this podcast is uh, episode whatever of the Atkins Labcast. Correct? It is episode whatever. Because we've lost it. count. This is, that's how much fun we're having. We're having we so much we're fun. We're just recording this shit all day long. We can't remember how many we've done. We have. And... um. This episode is David Hume. Yes. A uh, local Adelaide visual artist. David Hume, Hume, who I did not know that I potentially was partially educated by at some point at Ruth Tuck Art School. He was at Ruth Tuck. I, I was thinking about the dates and the times because he was mentioning that, even though I didn't say it to him, and I think it does line up with yes. your age and yes. your Because I have for a long time thought he was very familiar and now it all makes now, you know he was my physics teacher in year 10. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Jesus, how old is he? Well, he was pretty young then. He was, uh, he would have been, you know, 20 or something. And I would have been and he looks or 21 like or something. Like that. How old is he? I, I, older than that. He's a bit older than us, a little bit yeah. older. But isn't that cool? So he, he perhaps he's taught Mr. both Educator. of us. He's Mr. Do Everything. He is, he is. And he's got, he's got this fabulous uh, look at, Life and art, and very and gentle and very thoughtful, and very sort of. I don't know, he sort of has an ability to kind of be really, um, sort of really relaxed and kind of like, oh, what's gonna happen? It's gonna happen. Oh, that's good, but I do like the, the chasing of. Of, of beauty and the chasing. Yeah, yeah. But no, I just mean, like, I think, I I don't know. I think I'm overwrought with a lot of this stuff, but I think he's got that. It was one of the things that all the tutors at Ruth Tuck always had was this kind of like, eh, you put the leaf in the wrong place. It doesn't matter. No one's here to check whether the leaf was there or somewhere else. Who gives a shit? Do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, Which I managed not. <laughs> Not to take away with me because I'm so uptight. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because both um, uh, Gavin uh, and, and Gavin and David get on quite well. Uh, and David's yeah. been at the Centre for Creative Photography doing some study. And both of them are very generous and um, and kind of non-judgmental about what you're yeah. doing. As long as, you, as long as you're kind of doing it. That's yeah, what he wants yeah, to see. Yeah. No, the best of, of art people. So what did you think about his commenter about I can only work in two places. I can work at. 
um, in the Fleuro Peninsula or in Venice. <laughs> I well, I have a very similar <laughs> problem. I'm only effective as a human being when I'm in Paris. And well, unfortunately, yeah. I'm not there at the moment. So, No, I'm glad you're not. I'll be upstairs in bed for the rest of the week. <laughs> if everyone's okay with that. Actually, I think probably everyone is okay with that this week. I think they're probably going, yeah, no, we're not so keen on you coming down this week. <laughs> Last week, ladies and gentlemen, I was a hot fucking mess. Well, that that's happens to all of us, doesn't it? Yes, it's the, the long, winding, <coughs> horrific journey that is an attempt to get a new product off the ground and failing at all quarters. Correct, correct. Well, let us, let us send our listeners off to listen to David. David. Um, enjoy. Lovely, uh, kind, David. Comment, send us any thoughts. Comments, rate and review, subscribe. Rate and review. I haven't looked at any of that stuff in so long. Well, we're still getting the same amount of downloads. Still, oh, are still we? getting you know fifteen hundred downloads. So I don't know what that means. No, I don't know. Either. I don't think that's number of people. I think that's all those services and <laughs> octopuses and leeches and stuff. Oh, I, I'm happy with it. Just smile. Oh, and it nod. doesn't matter. There's three of them that I know of. Smile and wave. <laughs> that's enough. Yeah. Hi, you guys. I well, hope you could all get together and have like a listening. <laughs> you could all just sit together, <laughs> all three of you in a cafe. Maybe someone will start a drinking game. What? Every time I complain about how many listeners we have to the shot. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, everybody, enjoy David. We'll see you after this. everybody. We're sitting here in the lab talking with David about his, his life in, uh, in visual art. And... I sound a bit stunted because this is our second time we've recorded this because the recording system died, thank you, computer. Um, oh, we'll just be a lot smoother. We're going to be a lot smoother yeah. and we've practised. Yes. I feel yes. like we've had so many conversations together, we've practised mm. our conversations. But I did want to record uh, David for several different reasons. There's there's a lot of reasons. Um, one of them was we're right in the thick of our Shimmer Festival here and David's got a show at the Shimmer Festival and uh, I'm hoping to interview some of the artists that are a part of it because I think there's there's so much to be learnt from people when it comes to finding out what they're doing, why they're doing it. And for me, the most exciting thing about going to see an exhibition is hearing the artists talk about their work. And this is our opportunity to just sort of to dig around it. But a part of this this torture process comes, I have to ask you about where it started for you for art and and where photography became a part of what you do? Because I know sure, you're not sure. primarily a photographer, are you? No, although it's what I'm doing most of all at the moment. I'm not really painting much at the moment, but I'd still, you know, on balance, I guess I'm more of a painter than a photographer. But uh, anyway, Shimmer is fantastic. I love it. And going and artist talks. I learned so much um, from being in that forum and listening yeah. to the other photographers talking. It was great. But, but I started um, as studying science, physics, because when I was at school, it was the thing. You'd do science if you could. And well, I, if you could, if you're smart enough to... Yeah, hit, yeah, hit yeah. It's notes. like science is important. Yeah. And I mean, I remember our lovely physics teacher... Oh, you can always pick up art later on, but you can't pick up mathematical <laughs> physics later on. And it's kind of... Is that right? Accurate? Yeah, it's not really. But, um, I mean, I'd say you can't pick up mathematical physics later on, but I don't know whether you can pick up art later on either. It's a Good point. Yeah, it's a romance to be seen. I'm still hoping that it might happen. Uh, is it, it? Do you think art, like, is it a language? Like, they always say languages should be learnt as a child. So perhaps they're accurate in that concept where <coughs> if you want to be able to cope with physics as a as a mental gymnastics exercise, then you better start early? 
Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I agree with that about art. I think there is something in it that's innate in a way, and I'm pretty old-fashioned in agreeing with Plato about the idea that there is this sublime somewhere that's unachievable that we can't reach, and all our struggles of, of artistic endeavour are just imperfect reflections of that. And I do, I did come to that conclusion. I didn't sort of pluck it out of the air. And the reason I was studying mathematical physics and pure maths was because I thought, well, this is the toughest stuff. This is like the purest knowledge you can get. It doesn't get any more fundamental than the forces that hold subatomic particles together, etc., etc. So if you're going to study anything, study that. Don't study chemistry because that's just applied quantum electrodynamics. Don't yep. study, you know. But, oh, sorry, I'm going to cough. <coughs> um, but when I got to the end of uh, my undergraduate degree, I realised that while I loved physics and while I'm really – I could never have done anything else. You know, I, it has informed the way I see the world to this day. It was the end – that was the end of the road of it for me because the reason I was – studying it was because I thought I would have some glimpse into reality that I could only get that way. And then when you get to the end of the, the line, you discover that science is a self-consistent logical system right? and there is nothing more to it than that. I mean, it's tremendously useful. Uh, it's very good if you want to know how to build stuff or you know cure cancer or whatever. But from a sort of philosophical, intellectual, epistemological sense – folds back in on itself and doesn't provide <coughs> sorry it doesn't provide that window to uh, the truth that yes. I thought it would and that's what I did find in art and that has kept me going right this is 40 years ago that I was studying physics so hang on why, why did you feel that art go like what how did you that's some an interesting level of maturity to, to be going you know, the truth is going to be there in art. Because there was things that I saw in art that I believed were true. I would see a line or a Matisse painting or a um, Cezanne, something like that, and I would just think, my God, that is true. That is it. Uh, and I can't prove it and it defies sort of a logical system to say, tell me why a Cezanne is good. Can't be done. But nevertheless, that held a kind of truth for me that is still there to this day. Interesting. And it's great because, you know, you can't prove it. I can't, I, I can't solve it. I don't know if it's right or not. So therefore, I can't get bored with it and want to move on to something or other else. I, like I reckon I'll never work this out. It's something that you just keep... Isn't, isn't that frustrating, though? Nah. Well, not for me, because if I work something out, then it gets boring and I want to try something else. Okay. Like when I was studying physics and stuff, it, it would be, oh, I was never interested in working out the numbers of how many electron volts does it take to make an electron jump from here to there. It was just like, oh, you can work this out? Cool. That's all I need to know. I don't want to know the answer myself. I just want to know whether or not you can find the answer. And then I'll let someone else can do that. Who, who cares about it? I don't really care. Uh, but with things like, oh, that line. Why is that line good? I could so never when were you making? That. What age were you making those comments about 
you know, a line or a Cezanne? Oh, probably about 19 or 20. Okay, so you would, you'd finish school. Yeah. So um, and you were, you were studying at university? Yeah, to be so I finished physics? school and I went in and just did a basic science degree, but I majored in mathematical physics and pure maths, partly because you didn't have to do pracs. I didn't like pracs. <laughs> you know, and, and it was slack ass. You just want to get off the, off the chair. Exactly right. You know, And I only had three lectures a week, so I didn't have to turn up to her much and all that kind of thing. It was, <laughs> it was pretty easy. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't easy. It was hard to understand. But And also, if you're going to study something, why, like, why not study the most difficult thing you possibly can? Because... It's like, why, you know, so. <laughs> I suppose so. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like, like, nothing is tougher than art. Nothing's, nothing's harder, I reckon. So why, wow. is, why do anything else? Wow. That's cool. I'm, I'm saying yeah. wow because firstly I struggle with the idea of being able to pick up, you know, mathematical physics as a, I'll, mm. I'll just do this yeah, because yeah, I yeah. feel. Um, and secondly, uh, you know, the concept is nothing harder than art and I totally get you. But I, for me, it's so much joy that I, I'm not trying to make it. I'm just trying to consume it. Yeah. So you, so you moved from. When did you move to making art? Well, I had a job. My um, student job was lifting tables at the Ruth Tuck yeah. Junior Art School, a lovely place. Beautiful. So I was like the token bloke who could lift up the trestle tables, <laughs> and I'd be walking around these. Was it a female-dominated environment? Yeah, it was. It was a very good environment. Yeah. Um, and. So I'd be you know, walking around and little Sophie's going, David, I can't draw a rabbit. Going, <laughs> of course you can, Sophie. <laughs> we can all draw rabbits. <laughs> but if you've got to tell little Sophie that, you've got to be, you know, you've got to put the, you, <laughs> you, put the you got to, you've got to draw the rabbit. It's got to come to the point where the rabbit gets drawn. And it's got to be a reasonable rabbit. And well, this is it. Something uh, enough to fool Sophie. Yeah, no, no, no. Ruth was wonderful. She would, um, parents would come in and say, "Oh, Sophie is so talented," and Ruth would say, "Oh, all our children are so talented. She'll fit right in." You know, such a, a delight. It, it was really a lovely place. And Ruth was a a tremendous um, mentor in a sense, in a way that I didn't realize at the time, um, because. When I was doing this and I told little Sophie that she could draw the rabbit and then it was my turn to give the lesson, so I became not the table lifter, I became one right. of the teachers, right. uh, which I loved. And I knew that I liked teaching and I went into teaching and I loved, you know, because you make money um, tutoring kids in their maths after you know, lectures and stuff. But it was her support or her uh, recognition uh, in what she saw that I could do that gave me the confidence uh, to think that I could do this. Right, right, yeah. right. So it was a bit like, oh, David, you can you can actually do this. And I knew, I don't think I've ever been a very good drawer or I'm quite good at colour. And they they say anyone can learn to draw. Do, yeah. do you subscribe to that? I mean, yes, in a way I do, but I think what you need to do, what... To make it to be good, it's not really about the technical facility and your hand-eye coordination and whether you can make a line in the shape that you want. You, you can learn to do that, but it's a bit like having something to say with it. Um, right. If you take, say, Whiteley, one of our greatest draftsmen, um, and his idea of you know, his, oh, what you need to do is go and buy some 
charcoal and some paper and then you lock yourself up for six months and you just draw, draw, draw and you distort, you distort, you distort. And then once you've done that for six months, you're going to see something that you've never seen before. And that's his sort of advice to anyone uh, who wanted to try it out. And there's something in that. Uh, I mean, I think Whiteley is interesting for a lot of reasons. His use of... his use of perspective, for example, is very... And it fits in... And that fitted in with what I was studying in uh, pure maths because I reckon he used a um, curvilinear, like a hyperbolic perspective to actually draw the um, eye point, to draw the, the position of the observer inside the picture plane. Yes. And that's what happens if you make your straight lines go into infinity hyperbolas yes. instead of straight lines. That's what happens, I reckon. Think, think fisheye. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. yeah. Mm. No, exactly fisheye. So if you um, draw a bit fisheye to to put it like that, you can bring people in. You know, you can bring. And I tried that with uh, some Venice stuff, trying to um, bring you down the canal when mm. I was doing that sort of thing. But yeah, no, that early support from uh, from Ruth and that experience of meeting also meeting artists who were teachers there at the Ruth Duck Art School. That's that was a bit of luck. I don't know. I was thinking if I didn't, um, you know, as a finisher degree, what are you got to do? You probably have to get a job. And I thought if I don't get a job, I'll just go back and start <laughs> um, philosophy. It was what I wanted to oh do. Oh, really? Yeah. Was that a natural extension of of, of a mix of science yes. and art? Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. No, at that point, I, I don't think I'd started thinking about art yet, but it was a bit like, well, okay, I thought... Initially, nah, philosophy is a bit of a wank. I think I'll just stick with physics. But then I thought, nah, physics isn't going to quite cut it. I might have to try philosophy and see see what that's like. But I didn't. I got a job instead. Yeah. So uh, there you go. <laughs> but <laughs> luckily, I that was fun because I could still keep painting. Yeah. And um, you know, because of that support that I had in my student holiday job, I was then able to start exhibiting um, and take it from there so how do, how do you begin to start exhibiting what's the what's that first step for, well, for th- you in at the time i thought oh this must be because my work's okay and he reckons he can flog it because i didn't um no not having been to art school uh, or known that sort of thing i didn't really i didn't have any access to any public spaces or that kind of exhibition opportunity it was all well there's three galleries in adelaide you know this is in the 80s there's Kensington, there's Green Hills, there's Tint, um, BMG sort of thing. And so I went to um, Kensington and said, can I have an exhibition, please? And he said, yes. And this was probably because uh, in the background, a couple of the Ruth Tuck people had said, oh, you know, uh, Jonathan, who was the director, I think David's going to come and approach you. And they would have said to me, I think you should, David. You know, I would have been encouraged by people I knew who'd done it to say we think you are up to up for it, and then someone would have said to Jonathan, "Look, this guy's give him a go. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen?" Exactly. So, and that happened like that. But that was really my early exposure, and really most of my ex- experience with galleries has only has been through commercial galleries. So, in that way, it's not such an impediment that I. So I said, oh, look, I'm sorry I didn't go to art mm. school. I had to learn this. And I would have loved to have learned. I'm trying to learn all that stuff now but uh, or in the future. But it would have been nice to know it already. Gosh, imagine if I'd had 40 years ahead. Well, <laughs> possibly. But it might but have broken it, you too. It you, might have, we are, yeah. We're where we are because of what, what's happened. 
Um, well, I probably got more breaks than I deserved, so you know things went well. <laughs> well, it's a, it was a different time too. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me, when did photography? Um, when did photography sort of start becoming a part of this? Because you're painting, right? And drawing. Yeah, I'm painting, doing watercolors, and drawing. And it's funny how you go back and you don't work out at the time how things happen. But when I was a little kid, my grandfather, who's a cinematographer and everything doer, uh, had a darkroom. Right. And so we would print in the dark. And I'd forgotten the smell of fixer until I went back to TAFE and we went into the darkroom and bang, I'm straight back to being seven. And wow. And, but, yeah, we printed. And I had he gave me for my fifth birthday uh, a little Agfa... Uh, egg for rapid, which took 24 by 24, yeah. and the film went from one canister to another. And again, one of these early things, we all went off on a trip, and uh, stay, the men were taking photographs. Oh <laughs> and Dave, with his little egg for, s- I snuck around the behind the tree and took a picture of some signets. And I just found that the other day. It was in a box of prints oh, that wow. we got. Yeah, we, I, I didn't, I remember taking the picture because my grandfather printed it up. Like he, he made a big print of it and said, this is a really good picture. And I was like, oh, okay. Hmm. Well, maybe that's where it began. Yeah, right? but in, in retrospect, and we had a dog. Like when I had this little camera, we had a crazy Kelpie. And I used to take photographs of the crazy Kelpie in the backyard and the back fence. And my mum would say, oh, David's taking another bloody picture of the fence again. <laughs> so, so I thought, oh, maybe one day I'll be able to do a series of fence photographs or something. So... It, there was that really early that I'd forgotten about. So I knew about cameras. Like I knew what film right, was right. and my grandfather had a Pentax Spotmatic and I used to play with this and he had a twin lens reflex and all this stuff. But I didn't do anything to do with photography seriously until when I was painting and I had in my mind that it was very important to document your work. Okay. And I don't know where I got that idea, but it's something I've yeah. always done. I've always documented it. So that means... So an extension of journaling. Kind of, yeah. I so think your it, I process think and this is the work and... Yeah. Were you hoping just to to remind yourself of the story of what, what had happened? I or? reckon I had to create my own narrative because okay. no one else was going to. Gotcha. Uh, and I had to kind of say, well, this is what I did here and then I did this and then I did that because in that way kind of make it falsely more interesting than it really was Yeah. by making a story yeah. about it. Yeah. So, well, uh, that's what... I mean, that's... That's what art is. We're telling stories. We're, we're deciding whether sometimes it's intentional that we're going out to make it. Sometimes we're retrospectively looking back at the work yeah, and going, yeah. gathering it together. But you have to draw it together. Otherwise, th- what's the exhibition going to be? Exactly. And you're exactly. not old enough mm. to have your greatest hits and have a retrospective. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, you, you've got to be. You've got to be hitting you're a story. Still in the one hit wonder category very much. That's right. That well, well, that's the thing. And now, and now, so photography becomes a way of that of expanding that process and explaining that process to yourself. Yeah. So I was making a record which was teaching me about white balance and um, trying to get something that was representative of the artwork and wasn't just a brown mush. Yeah, yeah. Um, But then when I went back into TAFE, because I thought I'd do a little bit of study and study some graphic design because it was a bit fun and it was cheap. You know, you could get to use a darkroom on the back of a Mm. 60-buck fee or something. It was terrific. Uh, then, oh, the smell of the fixer came back and I was shooting black and white and the kids were born, I think. So lots of baby the baby photos. And I got my grandfather's enlarger and was doing prints in the, you know, when the kids had gone to bed, that sort of thing. Um, and so it was 
coming back in. And then because I bought a medium format camera, this is my great entree into the world of commercial editorial photography, I bought an RB67 uh, because I had a medium format and larger that I got from my grandfather. And someone, it's a guy, oh, Dave, I need someone who can take pictures. I saw a picture of a... Uh, some food that you took for another friend. Can you do some stuff for our magazine? We need things like this. So that's how come I, I started working doing uh, editorial stuff for Wine State magazine in the like, early 90s, doing shots of uh, winemakers and people in restaurants and you know, you'd go and visit them and you'd have a chat and you'd take their portrait and you'd make a hundred bucks and you know, it, was, it was money and it was good fun. And I also got to say, oh, yes, I'm a photographer, you know, which is kind of <laughs> it's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah. Well, back then I, it may I, have been. I don't yeah, know about yeah. now. I can, I'm <laughs> zipping around in a, a drop-top um, roller through London <laughs> you know, with a propeller in the back. That's what I'm doing, yeah. Um, no, that was fun. And it's, I think, one of the things that I really like, you can say it gets boring. You, can't, you don't get any sympathy when you go, oh, yes, I just went to photograph a winemaker and he gave me a bottle of wine. No, you don't. You, you don't get sympathy. It is work, but you don't get any sympathy. Oh, saying, yeah. Or, oh, yes, yeah, I had to eat this yummy thing that was out there on the plate. I, but it's, I, I thought, it, I still think it's a real privilege, even if you get a bit bored with it, it's a privilege to get that insight into the yeah. lives of the people you're photographing. Yeah. And it's, you get a, a trust because you're together, you're a team, you're working on the same thing and you're getting to see, it's quite interesting, How who knows what a commercial kitchen's like. I don't want to spend five years doing uh, an apprenticeship uh, to be a chef to find that out. Yeah. But it's very nice when you are invited in and you get to see what's happening and you get to meet these people and you wouldn't have met them otherwise. I mean, you might have met them, but yeah. you wouldn't have got to see what their work was all about. And it's one of those tremendous privileges of photographers yeah, we forget about. I reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, we saw it shimmer Chris Oaten's series of pictures of the restoration of the pipe organ at St. Peter's exactly. Cathedral mm-hmm. and the stained glass work. And, mm-hmm. and then he reminded us that he does time lapse. And so, I mean, I, I love watching a building go up and I like, you never get to see behind those screens. Yes. Yeah. And so you get to see that. As a photographer, you get to witness these mm. things and you're on the sidelines and you're welcomed in. in exactly, fact, yep. And, and, and if you play your cards right, you actually get to learn something if you're, if you're curious. Yeah. So, yeah. so you've got this eternal curiosity, do you? Is that what's, what's pushing I you on? I think that's it. I mean, it, yeah, if you ever do, because my daughters are both uh, doing postgraduate stuff now, so they're doing their little tests about what sort of what's your personality like, what's your interests. And if I ever do those tests, it's learning is always the thing that right. comes up top of the, That's the list. That's great. So it was really just, what wow, I'm learning something from this. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, and, I mean, it's a nice connection because visual art is can be very solitary and it can be long time between things happening. Like if you are working on getting a show together, that's maybe a year to, to do that. And a lot of t- that time throughout the year, nothing much is going right. So it's a complete, it can be very demoralising, pain in the ass. If you nip out and you take three photographs of two chefs and a winemaker and you've done something useful, you've, you know, you've earned a bit of money and you've, you've ticked that one off, that job is done, it's great. It sort of keeps you going. It's like, uh, like having normal things. You know, you, don't, yeah. you can do normal stuff. You don't have to do this esoteric, arty bullshit that's you're not going to see any... Um, benefit from for a year if then and it might all fall in a heap and you're just experimenting this idea you don't know if that's going to work or it's not going to work so having a little bit of grounding in 
in the real sort of life of something that is useful is good, I reckon. What what else gets you keeps you going with the art? I mean, you like you exhibit quite regularly. Yeah. Uh the pressure well, the way I would do it is I would book up a show. I would book a show with no work and then hope that I could make the work because it would be embarrassing. Can you still do that? I mean, oh. if you've got a reputation, you can. But but how you know if you're a young artist now, surely you would need to show the gallery this is my intention. Yeah, I think. Well, for example, uh, a show that I had in '95 or something, the first coming back from Venice for the first time, I had when Margot and I were married, we holidayed in Europe and we spent a couple of weeks in Venice, and I had some sketches. So I thought, wow, love this. This is fantastic, Venice, man. And so I, I took my sketches and I'd worked up a couple of little watercolory things and I went to see Green Hills as it then was still existing and said, can I have a show? And they said, yeah, um, we'll give you a show like six months' time or something. And maybe I'd said to them, oh, I'm going to back to Venice this um, December to do more work. Can I have a show? Something I would have said. Yeah. And they said, yep. And so then I went to... So they must have seen some commercial value possibly as yeah. a gallery? I guess, well, this is the thing. They go, maybe they think, yeah, these look nice. They're just nice watercolours. People yeah. buy them or something. I'm not yeah. quite sure. Uh, a combination of things. It's just, I mean, it's a little bit of the ugly side of things, but I, I often look at it and go, well, how does this work? And Yeah, it's how does it work? I wish I knew how it worked. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I mean, be good to know. But, I th- well, in the commercial galleries, and this, they need to think they can sell. They need to think that you're not a complete pain in the ass to work with. Yes, of course. Uh, but also, they're not going to keep their doors open if they're not selling stuff yeah um so there's a bit of that and then having having one show booked up i was then i went to a gallery in melbourne and said oh look by the way i'm having a show in adelaide at this quite good gallery can i have one with you as well uh, springboarding yeah, right. yeah of yeah. course but, but on you know, a ponzi scheme because there's nothing underneath <laughs> <laughs> ponzi scheme <laughs> that's hard <laughs> isn't it <laughs> uh-huh, that's right uh but anyway so then turning up uh in you know, booking an apartment. This is great fun. You book an apartment in Venice for a month. What could be better than that? In <laughs> that the middle fantastic. of bloody winter. Yes, and it was so cold. But it's never colder than zero because it's so close to the sea. So, yeah, yeah. But the bad thing was that it's uh, not that much daylight. However, I could sit out there for 30 minutes before I froze to death. So my drawing time was limited, which is good because I get bored easily. So right. um, drawing for half an hour is about all I could do. And then I'd take the paper back and paint it in the... Um, paint it in my apartment. Uh, and But the pressure thing, I was there for a month and the first two weeks I got nothing. I got nothing. So did, were you panicking at that stage? I think I passed the panic stage and just thought the, ah, oh, shit, what's, you know, it, it, it is what it is. What's going to happen? And then I freed up and it, bam, painting a day. Uh, so off it started happening. So there's that combination, I think, of you've, I, to me, it's different for everybody, but I need that pressure to make the work happen. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother to do it. I'd just be trying to solve problems in my head. Oh, is it possible to do this? What would a theoretically a watercolour of this canal look like? How would I draw it? And until you've got to think, well, I need 12 of these in 14 days, mm. you better go and do one. And I suppose four weeks, if you had given yourself two weeks, 
Yeah. It, it may have been, been a different story. I huh? don't know. I reckon it would have been a disaster. But it, it would have been a, a different thing. Yeah. It, it's very hard to say because I would have been thinking differently if I knew I only had two weeks. I don't know. What would have happened? A lot more pressure on. Yeah. Yeah. So that work, that, that sort of pressure I like because it also means that you just have to I, – I like thinking, well, are you going to do this or not? And if you're going to do it, there reaches a point where you have to just say, well, it's done. You know, you can't think, oh, I can do this five more times. So it's an artificial stop for you as well. Yeah. Well, not an artificial, it's an actual stop because, I, I, as I understand, it, leaving something alone and stopping is one of the hardest things an artist can do because you keep fiddling with it. Well, this is a great thing about watercolours. You have to stop because you just screw them up if you um, touch them. Or the w way I used my technique, it was all at once. I'd put all the paint on wet at once and I'd let... So the different paints with different chemical compositions push each other around on the paper in a certain way. So that if you put a blob of oxide of chromium, that stops everything. You put a blob of Payne's grey, it goes and then shoots right across to the other side of the page. And, you know, you put a nice bit of cadmium yellow, it's all sticky and it holds everything down. So... I'd have to put all these things on wet and then just walk away, not even look at it. Because, I mean, I'm sure that looking at it didn't really affect it, but you go, no, nah, because if I'm looking at it, I'm going to be tempted to touch it. I'm <laughs> going to be tempted to do this. No, 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 no. I put it under the bed where I can't even see it and it's going to dry nice and slowly because it's cold here and I'll come back and look at it tomorrow. And then either it'll be okay or it's not. And wow. you, you ditch it or you'd use it. It's And I really like that. Uh, I, that suits it's really my way of thinking. Because you don't think... You think when you're painting, you're constructing and you're editing as you go and you're overpainting back. Because mm. watercolours, it's bang. It's, it's bang. It, well, this way of working is. And some watercolour is you apply a wash and then another wash and that was never... And I'm that's the way I'd paint in oil or acrylic or whatever. But it suits um, my personality. I don't know. It, I just... Yeah, it's an expression of, of what I, how I yeah. see it. And also I'm just too, you, you know, I think you've got to play to your strengths and my strength is not amount of patience and redoing. It's yeah, pretty yeah. much saying, yep. okay, that's as good as it's going to get. And, and, you're, and you're happy with the stress and, it, and, it's, and it's good stress. It's not, oh, it's yeah. not panic stress that's, like, that's making your life difficult. No, well, I think if it's, it shouldn't be making your life difficult because really you're not playing for big stakes. It's not like I'm walking along you know, a cliff top and if I, I'm going to die if I fall. It, it, you, what might happen? People might laugh at you or the gallery won't show you again because you haven't got the work ready or you know, something like that can happen. But they're not big Yes. Big events. And if you think they are, well, maybe if I thought they were, I'd be a better artist because I'd take it more, you know, oh. I'd take it more seriously. <laughs> maybe if I was all on, a, oh my God, I'm, you know, the, 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 the knife is there. But, uh, no, I'll put it down. But. Well, you're I th you think you might be lucky because I know there's plenty of people that really suffer yeah. from that. And maybe, maybe are, are you a perfectionist? No, because. Right, there you go. Oh, well, I think, I mean, if I didn't. If I weren't, that's not to put your work down. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's I, I, that's not taken like that at all. It's, it's, but if I were not striving for perfection, then why would I be doing it? You know, if if I weren't trying to make the best possible thing that I could, then why? You know, go home. So, so you're always striving for that platonic sublime. Yes, and knowing that I can never get it. 
which is terrific. <laughs> we give yourself a free pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's right. Come on, oh, Dave. Well, no, this is not perfect, but then you can't get perfect, so it doesn't really matter. No, I mean, <laughs> no it's, that str- it's that striving. That's what makes it interesting. That's why I could never get bored, I think. Well, I haven't got bored with it for 40 years, so uh, it doesn't – and I, don't, I think I'm getting more interested in it rather than less interested. But, wow. Uh, there's – yeah, there's that striving to, to make something that's – unattainable or reach something that's unattainable makes something that's un- unachievable sort of thing so we were talking um uh well f- a few months ago with a previous body of work you're doing where you're really interested in what came together to make that image what it was and you're looking at brush strokes yeah um and then you were looking at grain in photographs because yeah yeah uh, so so is that driving you now this sort of fractal microscopic look at things I guess it always in, and it's easy to, to look at things that happened twenty years ago. You had no idea why they were happening, and then you go, ah, now it makes sense. But the very early work that I was doing of these abstract landscapes, uh, sort of aerial views that I was painting on big sheets of galvanized steel, and coming back from the first trip to Venice, where I still had to do the paintings, but I'm looking out of the window of the aeroplane as it flies from the Kimberley across the centre of Australia, back down to where we are in Adelaide. I was thinking, Shh, look at that. Wow. Now, this is fantastic. Look at that country. It's just going. It's, it's oh, this is amazing. This is Australia. It's fantastic from here. And yet, it, I imagined if I were down there crawling along the sand and sticking my nose into the red earth, that would be, you'd see something that was equally beautiful if you were just looking at those grains and so that made me think how can you make something that is beautiful beautiful or successful or works on a tiny scale and then also works on a big scale and I was splotting little tiny splodges of bright pure acrylic pigment onto these sheets of galvanized steel so you could really go up and stick your nose against the steel and, and look at these tiny dots and then you could walk back three or four metres, and see the whole thing, which I thought, well, this is a bit like flying over the mm. landscape. So, And I guess there's the problem-solving thing. I, is it possible to make this work? Is this going to be successful? Will it? And when people were looking at it, I don't think it was never, oh, look at this, it's interesting, big and small. It's, I d- don't want people to say, in this work, Hume is trying to do... Uh, it's just react to it. It is what it is. Yeah, you just react to it and see... See how that goes, but it is fascinating. I and that thing about what those little the dots. What is it that makes up the image? Okay, so there's grain in a photo which I love, or there's pixels which I'm I have yet to. I can't make anything nice out of pixels yet. But who knows? I might. You know, I'm not not saying I'm writing it off. They're pretty brutal, aren't they? Yeah, I can't. uh. They're pretty brutal. Uh, There's some clever stuff done with them, but they. And maybe that's the science. I mean, that's what you walked away from. The, the, yeah, the, guess, the yeah, understanding yeah. of the world is in a, in a binary way. Mm. You walked away from because you are looking for the uh, immeasurable, I suppose. Mm. Uh, yeah. Would yeah. that be fair? True. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, yeah. So maybe pixels will never be your thing. I, yeah. Because you keep coming back. I, I mean, you shoot digital all the dots. time. Mm. But you keep coming back to dots. You come back to grain. You keep coming yeah. back to... Yeah. Well, like, there was one st- bunch of stuff I did where I took the world we live in and I took this fantastic book that was made in the 50s and it had these beautifully 
painted il- illustrations to illustrate the age of the dinosaurs and the earth is born. And there was wonderful illustrations. And so I photographed those with a macro lens so that the dots, it was printed for colour. Stochastic color. dot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they became the main, one of the main visual elements. So I might have, a, you know, say a section that was as big as a piece of 35mm film, shoot that with a one-to-one macro lens, blow that up to 900 mils across by 600 or something, and then the dots become really big and they're boom, boom, boom. And I'm not the you know, only person to have done that. I don't think I've invented it or anything. Like you could say that a Chuck Close painting a yep. hue on a big scale does the same sort of thing. But that's very interesting. And then the idea of what would happen if you made your own halftone screen and I got sheets of aluminium with holes in them that you can get and the holes maybe a centimetre uh, in diameter, and then I just spray coloured paint through that. And that was the dots in the figure in the landscape series, which I'm sort of saying, oh, you know, every every landscape painting is a really a, is a portrait of the artist. You know, if you see Nolan's um, Ned Absolutely. Kelly, you're really seeing what Sid thinks about uh, um, the Burke and Wills myth. That's You're seeing Sidney Nolan there. And, uh, yes. Uh, and, so, you know, Francis Bacon and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yes, why do you keep painting so many portraits, Mr Bacon? Oh, they're all self-portraits, of course. It's mm. that, that sort of thing. Uh, but, yeah, I reckon the surface, the interaction, and I think this is kind of why maybe I don't like pixels so much because I like the, the interaction between the surface and the and the, what makes that surface up is is important. And if you put grain in, you've, you have got the lumps. Like the, you, the grain is already there. So anything, if you're printing it out, even with those stuff I, that I've just been showing, you know, those prints that make you wince when you look at them, that are oh, the CMYK. I know. love them. They're, 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 signage, they're prints on a, a yeah, signage process. Yeah. And, and there's a ton of reasons to do that. Mm. And yours is about, you know, you've photographed a painting. Yeah. yeah and then you've used yeah, that combination of the grain and the photographic and how technique. Does the grain play with the... And um, it looks like Polaroid mm. when you when you get up close to it. It's yeah. it's a lot of yeah. plot, lot lot happening there. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, and again, there's a lot of stuff that I'm thinking about, but I don't really want to try and beat people over the head with that. Uh, but it's lovely to. Well, I'm, I've just been looking at um, some of that work, and it's in doing having a show. It's great. You learn. Uh, you you. I find that as well as the punctuation of the development process of what I you're love thinking. that idea um, you know you're a, a journey an artist making working enjoying and then you need these punctuation points yeah to, to push you along I yeah. suppose or beacons to come towards mm. and I look at these prints and think oh wow I didn't expect that to happen that's yeah. really interesting I wonder if I can take what I have learned from seeing how that's resolved itself in that piece how can I fold that back into what's going to happen next so uh, we'll, be, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I mean that that recent series. You know, visually it's it's beautiful. There's some playful elements, like you've got this grid of photographs mm. that are hanging on the wall that you know you can rearrange, yeah. and you've actually created fridge a magnets, fridge <laughs> magnet set. Even though the original series is not a series of fridge magnets, it has that feeling like come along, rearrange it, yeah, make it what you wish it. of it. Mm. Um, and interestingly enough, that. You know, that series is, is a series taken on the Flurio. Mm. And, uh, you know, you, you once said that you feel there's two places you can work. Now, in all those artist talks we, we did, or the, uh, I don't remember, what do we call it? It was a, um, 
uh, an afternoon with all the artists yeah. when everyone was doing an artist talk <coughs> in a row. Mm. There was such a a strong line through it all where people were working about what they knew. Yeah, and yeah, this yeah, yeah. and this is a series of works. Uh, was it my ponga? My ponga. Yes, that, so that in the Fleurot Peninsula, yeah. looking out to sea. Mm. Uh, and it was something that you said was I found fascinating. You felt that this is something you, you are allowed to photograph. Yeah, and this is I, I still think that, and it was I reckon that was a really common thread. Uh, and I found it fascinating listening to what everyone else was saying because the you know, technically the work that all the people were doing couldn't have been more different. But it was such a common thread of this. Uh, I, I can't find a word for it. But uh, yes, to go back. Uh, part of what I, f I found interesting was this idea. I wonder if the fact that I have looked, I've stood on this bit of sand every January for the last 30 years, I've looked out at these clouds and I've looked at the sea and I've done, is there some way that I can communicate that? So, you know, hence taking away all the technical kind of constraints by saying I'm going to use a point-and-shoot camera and I'm going to mask out the place where the film goes so it's going to be square and I'm just going to use a shop scan and I'm not going to colour correct anything or crop it or do anything like that. I'm going to send it off and get prints at office works and I'm going to see what it is and put that on the wall and, and is that going to show you something that you can get in no other way? That's And I don't really know the answer. I don't know whether that worked or not, but it certainly was fascinating to try. Well, this is the thing with your work. You are you're having a go at an idea. You're going, can I solve this problem this way? And you get to the end of it, and it really doesn't matter. Yeah, what you've yeah. made is what you've made, mm. and I think the work is 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 beautiful on a on a pictorial level. And I do, and it does give you the sense of a location reviewed, understood, and I know that area quite mm. well, and it and it helps me feel my feelings about it and then you've got a couple of um forgive us but dave and i like to call them alice blanches oh, yeah, the, where the, they're multiple exposures blancharamas yeah. mm. um where you've basically done a, uh, a multiple exposure on one piece of film and a large piece of film yeah um uh, six six seven oh, probably six eight so the, the film yeah yeah it, they'd come out they'd be about 12 centimeters long i guess that's and right. i would i'd probably overlap three or four frames right. sort of thing so we're not saying it's a viewfinder camera that's 12 by six centimeters no it's a I mean, six by six it's a six by six but as you wind it on a little bit and take an exposure there's no real telling where one frame begins yeah what, correct next. yeah except so well there is no telling in a dark area mm. but in a light area you see the frame overlaps and you get this this feeling of a repeated image within yep. one image. And you'd shot one from a canoe, <laughs> yes, a kayak. Yes, yes, my kayak. And, and you mm. got the sense of the bobbing of it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Well, the interesting thing about that is when I first saw Alice's panoramas, yep. I thought they're fantastic. They're, I reckon they're As probably, we all did. Oh, yeah, they're sensational. Um, and I reckon it was the stuff that she... I can't remember what show it was, but at the time I was doing that Venice stuff where I was cutting up... Um, digital photos into the nine into the three by three grid yep. and i was trying to comp compress time into one image so i was trying to take lots of bits of time and whack them into one i thought well, can you put um time into this single image and when i saw alice's panos i thought ha ha, ha time and of course you know because there's 
you make an exposure, you move the camera a little bit, you wind on a little bit, and so it's recording not that click of the shutter. Yes. It's recording, I say, in me bobbing around in the kayak, it's uh, probably took 30 seconds, probably a minute maybe. To but is that it. not the same as a painting where you... You're seeing it and the, the well, light's changing in front of you. Or like in Venice where you mm. drew something then you went home and then you hit it with a watercolour back to your yeah. apartment. Isn't that a time recording as well? Uh, no, I don't know. Um, because the, the making of it takes a lot of time. But it's about but a But it's moment. about that moment. So that it, glimpse. Yeah, so. And that's what the first watercolours I did were glimpse Single glimpse, single painting. Yeah. So here is, I was walking along and I looked down, I looked along this canal and all of a sudden I saw a bridge and I saw these two buildings and I did my watercolour. It took me an hour to do the watercolour, yes. but it is of that moment. Yes. And so the first, um, you know, when I, then the second lot of photography when I went back, however many years later, uh, was it 20 years after, 20 years. Wow. No. 2012 to, yeah, about 20 years. Wow. So those photographs were probably 20 years after the first stuff that I'd started doing. And there's the other place you know, where I feel that I can make stuff. Um, 20 years after the first time I was there, trying to put time in, and then I saw Alice's Hanno's, and I thought, oh, she's trying to put time in, but I don't, I don't think that way anymore. And then when I tried doing that, I was, I'm not trying to put time in um i'm i'm trying to put that i'm trying to record a process of observation well i guess time is in there in a way because it's there's this act of observation then there's another act then there's another act yes. you know when we see something we look at this bit we look at that bit we look at and i reckon i've got a way to go with those because they're not i don't think they're really um, they're too much i'm in one place and i'm looking out and then I'm looking in a slightly different yeah. direction, but it's not the journey through, yes. which is when I made that little I was going to ask you, the yeah. next thing is the video you made, which was about you moving yes, yes. through an environment. Yeah, so yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Oh, well, that was just one of those uh, amazing sorts of moments of I, of inspiration that if I get two of those a year, it's it's been a good year. Wow. Uh, and I was down on the beach at uh, Normanville and the clouds were just... We were Margot and I we were at the end of a little trip or something, and we had to go home. And the clouds were just coming in, and I just thought, and I had a roll of Velvia for some reason in this little uh, Olympus XA compact camera, and I just thought I've got I I don't know that I did think I just thought my God I've just got to get this, and I realised I I hadn't realised but I thought theoretically if I press my finger up on the rewind button while I'm winding on, it won't pull the film through because it's released the little catch. And therefore, I should be able to put my finger on the button at the same... If I put one, put my thumb on the rewind yeah, yeah. button, put my other finger on the crank, and then my third one winding on the winder, I should be able to get overlapping multiple exposures. Creating a multiple exposure, one long piece of film with one it, well, multiple images. Yeah. Re overlapping and yeah. the like. So there's probably, say, 70 actuations of the shutter over the 36 frames and all those frames overlap. Yeah. And I just sat on this thing thinking, oh, I really like that, but I had no idea. What, you know. And we, we, I did some of that at the beach and then, quick, we've got to go. We've got to go home now. We drive over my Ponga down. Stop the car. This is amazing. The family must love you. Well, luckily it was only well, – Margot's very <laughs> – Is Margot <laughs> the patient one? 
oh yes, <laughs> you'd have to be, wouldn't you? No, just stop the car, just stop. And so, you know, that's like, oh, I think I'm like, oh my God, look at these clouds. And then the, you know, the mist had come in and we made it to uh, Aldinga Beach and I finished off the roll uh, there. And I thought, these are, this is something. But it, they had no um, use. You know, I didn't know what to do with them because that telling of that road trip, um, and it wasn't until... I was trying to think of something to do with the, this last body of shimmer work with the little squares of the yes. single beach things. And I thought, let's try and make um, a video. And, and that didn't work. It didn't work. And then because um, Janie Langford had said, okay, shimmer artist, got to be prepared to put yeah, your do work, online. do it online. Yeah, so this is because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, this festival's on mm. now, but there was an on and off moment there in mm. July, August. And I thought, I don't want to big grid of pictures that you referred to earlier. Yes. I don't want to put that up on a website because it's not about looking at it on a website. It's about walking up and down past it and looking up and looking down and moving through the work. You know, if, if it was going to be good on a website, I would have put it on a website, not on a wall. You know? And then I thought, well, I can do something on, a, on an online platform if instead of you going past the work, the work goes past you because you're still and yes. you're sitting looking at your screen. So what about if I dissolve, we've got half dissolved frames anyway because um, they're all overlapping. So what about if I blend those into one another and just slowly fade, slowly fade one to the other, one to the other, and that's what I did. And it worked over you know four minutes or something. And okay, bit of fun but it was, i think it was quite very beautiful it was quite well, i think it was i'm happy that it was successful in solving that problem that i yeah thought. i think it's probably i don't know i think it probably was a little bit more than just successful um i i don't know how how that it gets subscribed uh, yeah. to it but the the music uh, oh, yeah, australian yeah, composer yeah. Mm. and um and you had margot play the cello for it yeah yeah uh, you know, like that all helps mm. to know that, but mm. the fact is, actually, it's a really beautiful mm. piece. Well, yeah, I'm not being sort of coy, going, "Oh no, 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 it's not beautiful." <laughs> you know, but seriously, I didn't call it sublime. <laughs> no, you didn't call it sublime. But it, actually, it is yeah. sublime. But going back to you know, talking about a single frame, single frame shot from my Ponga Beach, and you said, "Oh, you know, that's a beautiful shot," and I'm thinking when I'm making this, I'm doing everything I can to really make this a nothing photo. I'm not using any sophisticated... I'm using this... All I'm doing is walking down to the beach, kind of... I don't know. I'm just walking down there, clicking the shutter, and then walking back to the beach house. That's Who could not do that? So in what way is that making something? How, you know, any, who, could, who could not do that? Uh, which I find really interesting, because if it does make something beautiful, then... What? How did that happen? Well, a lot more than just walking down and taking a picture. Well, that's all I did physically. No, no, but you didn't um, mentally and emotionally. Yeah, you did okay, a lot more okay. to it. Yep, yep, yep. And and that's and then you you treated some differently, and you know you involved the painting and you. Yeah. Well, if yep, yeah, okay. Now that's that's all that's true. Um, but that act, that first act of just. Pointing a little camera. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And a lot of people have a problem with photography for that very reason. Yeah, but and I think it. I, well, I think it's a very interesting question. If if that first of all, does it make something that's beautiful? How does it make something that's beautiful? Why? And the only thing I can kind of come 
come back with is, well, look, I've looked at this beach for 30 years and I know that now would be a good time to go down there and go click and I'll come and I'll just, once I've done that, I'll go and have a beer. And, you know, <laughs> when, oh, okay, now it's, oh, now wouldn't be a bad time to do. And over the course of, Oh, five days or a week it's or something. It's 36 beers. We're all <laughs> yeah. of, well, was it's that, it's was a holiday. Was yeah. it no, I didn't have to have 24 a, mil squares. I didn't have to have one beer or a <laughs> photograph. See if you can get through the whole roll in five the minutes. Yes. Uh, but that's, that is interesting. And well, well, okay, so I want a question about the, the video that you made for that. How do you feel about video as a piece of art? Now, oh. I mean, I... I G and I, when we spoke about yeah. this, the podcast, we both are like, I don't want to put video artists down in any way, but what are you making? What are you? What does a collector collect? Like, what does an institution yeah. collect? How do they display it? Yeah. How? Yeah, yeah. What was your intention for? What is it? Is it just a bit of fluff on the side, or is it a real thing? I reckon I was trying to make a real thing, but also. I was just trying to have a bit of a play with this idea. And if it comes back to, say, uh, looking at, say, Colin's Banal Marie book and you you resolve something in one way and then it has another life, you take that idea and you put it up and you put it on the wall and it's, it's a slightly different way. And so the same idea, like I could make this, I made this little video, it took me, you know, 30 minutes in iMovie and boom, it's done. Now, just imagine that I get a phone call from, you know, the Biennale and, ah, David, we'd like to, here, we've got a pavilion. We'd like to give you the Australia pavilion. I'd go, oh, this will be fun. What we might do is we might print these up as, say, one and a half by one metre on translucent panels and we'll mount them slightly overlapping and we'll go around so that instead of looking at it on a screen, people can have a slow walk. And I go, well, that would be fun to do, but it would cost 50 grand to make yeah, it. Yeah. And so if you're going to pay for it, we can do it. Otherwise, yeah. maybe I'll just think, well, I've got a video and that's kind of nice. So, Well, yeah. interesting. Um, because, yeah, I, I struggle with it, as, as, as I just said before. Uh, what is it? And it's, it's clearly – I don't think it's fair to say it's where we are going, mm. but it has to be considered. And I, it makes me feel like a real Luddite – that I can't see and feel the video piece as being... And I remember a few years ago I spoke to... went to Rochester and I met the gang from the um, Image Permanence Institute talking okay, to them yeah, about... Yeah. And they advised people on collecting and institutions on the archival storage and, and ink ratings and all that kind of stuff. They're an independent group. Uh, yes, they're funded uh, like most university organisations are, but they're a research group. And they were asked to curate... Well, not so much curate, but but be a part of the discussion of the curation of an of a on-screen workpiece. And, okay. And I spoke yeah. to the director of the centre and I said, well, what did you, you know, what, what did you do? He said, well, the question was like, it was originally shown on this little CRT screen mm. and it was an early computer installation piece. Mm. Really, we need to archive the screen and that because the way <sighs> yeah. that the person showed the work it was this sort of lo-fi thing and we start putting it on, you know, a 4K display or... It's another thing, isn't it? Well, and it's not a new... I mean, I, I think the sort of quick answer is that the institutions are always behind the times. They have to be because what's happening has not yet made it into institutions. So right. it's always, you know... So Duchamp's Fountain, mm. there's a good piece of virtual art that was never actually shown. Mm. You know, so he, 
if he says I'm writing uh, Mitt on the side of a urinal that I just bought from the shop and I'm submitting it to this show which has got no selection criteria, all you've got to do is pay the entry fee in New York, 1917. Oh, no, says the committee, we're not accepting this. It's not art. So then they hide it and um, Steiglitz takes a photograph of it, puts it up in his gallery in Manhattan. People talk about it. So it's a bit like, oh, um, he's... Uh, Duchamp's got a couple of influencers working for him. <laughs> and then, so you go... <laughs> hashtag. You s- hashtag. Hashtag, urinal. And <laughs> so now, oh, yes, y- y- there's one in the Tate, but it's not the real one because they... Yes, you they destroyed even, it. Yeah, yeah, it was in, in, in Duchamp's studio and he smashes it up before he leaves New York or something like that. So someone makes a uh, porcelain... No, what's it? A ceramic copy of the original porcelain or something or other and there are four. So if you're... Going into the Tate Modern and you're seeing Duchamp's fountain, you're seeing a copy made in 1960. And there's so so many yeah. meta kind of yeah, levels yeah. going on in that sort of thing. I guess some of this, I reckon some of the stuff works and some of it lasts and some of it doesn't. And, you know, Duchamp does. And, you know, I don't know so much about Damien Hurst and Jeff Kuhn sort of thing, but... Who cares what I think? Yeah, well, but, I mean, we're not arguing about Deshaun. Everyone loves Deshaun, but there's, uh, you know, I'm sort of probably more on the side of Robert Hughes when it comes to the other guys who uh, view him as, yeah. Anyway, so where, where are you going next? What's the like? You're you're reaching for the sublime. Uh-huh. What what's the next? What's the next <laughs> thing? What's boiling in the pot? Well, I'd like to. I wanted. I'm, I'm saying to clouds at the moment. Oh, I mean, I think this is just evolving. In fact, Izzy was saying, Dad, you, you are not taking photos of my wedding because you, you'd come back at two photos of a cloud right. and say, Izzy, the skies were amazing. Did you see that? But <laughs> I just, I know it's, it's a bit like if I can just do the beach thing, I wonder if I can just do a cloud. And I was thinking about this writing over here today. I was wondering about this printing on canvas, which is, you know, like it's a crime against yes, it, all that's good and decent is, is, yeah. is abominated by that. But it's never stopped you in the past, David. Oh, no. Nah. But then I thought, well, maybe you could, you know, if you look at what Turner's technique was, for example, and, you know, he, you'd, he'd put a bit of impasto on underneath and, it would, and then he'd rub stuff with a rag a bit and then he'd get up to the oil washers on the top. I uh, was sort of thinking, what about if you start off with the, the CMYK rendering on canvas first and then you start overworking that in oils and you play with that idea of how much uh, comes through in a visual sense. So so what you're seeing, how much of, of a print or how much of paint are you looking at and you also play with that and the idea of, of how much am I sort of corrupting this image, what is this process? How, yeah, yeah. how much can I say this is a painting or how much are you going to say, oh, this is cheating because you're, you're copying? A bit like, you know, say Warhol doing the, cu- the big colour by numbers um, works of boats and stuff, just blowing them up and painting them. So that would be interesting. But I reckon it's got to be something. I was thinking, can, is it boring? Is it too boring just to do paintings of clouds? No, I don't think yeah. it is. Well, looking at the you know the people who were talking in the Shimmer Forum, it was like if the passion is if is there, like G's chrysalises, for example, yes. or um, Hayden's m- the moon. It's um, yeah. you know you look at that and you think, well, 
what he's done is just he's worked out how to kind of capture that fascination and that that beauty that he sees and he's prepared to go and do the work mm. to get and everyone's just kind of going oh wow you know i got I was sitting next to um, a woman who'd made a special trip. To, oh, you know, she wanted to, she wanted to ask a question. She wanted to, you know, she was there for the for the bite sort of thing. And it was great. It was so lovely to to think, wow, this is working yeah. really well. This is, yeah. I mean, this stuff is, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it thinking this is great, but it's affecting people in such, you know, so much. You know, I think she was. Um, Worked as a photographer's assistant or something, so yes. she was in. She was into photography, yes. and and she's got. Oh, I'm I'm coming here to see this. So it's that's that stuff is is wonderful. So that I think you know your uh, discussion about the original works of the, the glimpses in Venice, yeah, where you you know you walk you cross a, a bridge and you see it, someone walking somewhere, and you you kind of capture this little snippets. If you think about it, every one of those people who spoke at that forum and every artist and everyone looking at their work is all getting a glimpse of things in a different yeah. way. And yes, I mean, you, I mean, I don't think there's particularly a, a um, fan base for clouds out there. That you, <laughs> but that's not how you work. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. They're, if they're fascinating mm. you mm. and you're in the industry. And they certainly are of a fractal nature, clouds. Yes. Yeah, you know, sure. as you yeah, start yeah. looking at them and putting them together and pulling them apart, you see different things. Yeah. They change before your very eyes. Yeah. Maybe I could do puppies or something. Puppies. See, I used to do irises. This was the thing. I did watercolour irises back in, you know, so the So you 90s. started where you meant to end. Yeah, yeah. That's what the old guys are meant to, to go. <laughs> well, I got good I, I got good irises. I, I mean, I can say this now. With I couldn't do one today if I tried. But I got to the point where I was just putting on pure pigment, like I would use on watercolour on lovely um, Ash, you know, 600 gram cold-pressed. Cold and... I would not draw. I would just use like a brush painting and I'd use pure cadmium yellow, uh, ultramarine, uh, oxide chromium, cad, cad yellow, uh, a bit of uh, cobalt turquoise. And I'd go, boom, 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 and make them. Like I, I wouldn't need to draw an outline. I could just, I'd, I'd looked at them so long that I knew how to do them. And once I'd done that, I kind of had to stop because it would have just been, I, got to the point where there was nowhere further to go. Yes. And I I would just have been going through, and they were quite popular, like I'd, people would always buy them, but I could, had to stop making them because they would have become just a, a, a you know, me cliche. doing... An a cliche, an impersonation of... This is an impersonation of me doing an iris. It's, it just, they, they lost what it was that, oh, is it possible to do this? And I'd kind of made it to that point where it was possible uh, and then, then I had to stop because I'd solved that problem, if that makes sense. So, yeah. so you might, your next problem may be clouds. Could be. Could be. I reckon clouds. Although I'd like the idea of... So, you know, I was looking at that Cezanne stuff and... Um, Conversation you know, with Cezanne yeah. was your yeah. last show or show before uh, That was the one before this, I think. Yeah. Yes, yes, And you were monkeying with some photographs yeah, well, of, I had those of, a, mm. of, of a, a still life? Yeah, well, I had those... Um, single fruits uh they lovely uh, prints mm. and that was about just looking at something mm. and taking something and so but th again that was interesting because i just shot those so i was i was painting in the style of cezanne based on not trying to copy 
what I thought his technique was, but I, I read, because everyone, Cezanne hardly said anything. He, he never, like, it, there's very little recorded. But if you read, everyone's got, oh, well, Cezanne said this, Cezanne said that, no, 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 no. And it's all crap. Because he didn't, opinion. Yeah, he, he didn't say any of that. People attribute it to him. Oh, well, at the dinner party, you know, someone will say what he said, but it's not. So I only read I read his letters like his complete correspondence um, throughout his life, yeah. and I only used that. I only used the words that he had said. So once I'd read that, then I read it's like the definitive biography of him, which was really good. Uh, but I ignored anything that was not directly in his um, recorded that he said. So in trying to paint like that, I was just influenced by his statement about looking, observe nature, just observe, observe. Observe, and so if you, um, I mean, you can see stuff in his work. You can see that he is uh, the father of cubism because you can see that he he looks at something from one place and then he paints the rest of it from an, another bit of the same still life yes. from another place. And you can really see that Picasso and Brat jumped on top of that. Um, yes. But I'm not sure that he would have. He would not have said, "Oh, I'm the father of uh, cubism." He would have just gone off in a grump and gone and painted another view of uh, yes. um, so I don't, I don't really ascribe to all this oh well he, he was clearly thinking this he was clearly thinking that I don't buy that well that's why you called that a conversation yeah, with yeah, and yeah. You, you've got a like a little essay or a, a little booklet yeah. that was talking uh, you know sort of um, imagining a conversation mm. and um, and sort of working this stuff out and that the photographs just the single fruits that was again. That was like a, a precursor to the later stuff of down the beach because that is. Oh, I have looked. When you have drawn something, this is the thing. If you right. if you've spent the time that it takes to draw and paint something, you really know what it looks like. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at a mountain, um, you okay. I've seen it, but if you've sat there, yes. not just sat there for an hour, but sat there with your pencil, and you've tried to, and you've looked at every little crack and you've tried to, to see the relationship between all the shapes and where they fit in and how this works and how that works then you know what it looks like and I thought I spent so many hours looking at bloody lemons and stuff drawing them I should be able to make a photograph of yes, that yes. and so and I used that ex that you know crappy impossible project sort of film and then you know uh, blew the curves to shit so that it would yeah, be yeah. dark and, yeah, yeah. Like, and get some colour and all that. Yeah. Um, but I thought what that's about, if it works, if that, if that becomes a successful piece, that's about that act of observation. Yes. And so, and this is this stuff that I'm playing around with with the expired films and stuff that G gave me. It's like, well, let's take... Because when you, you see... If you look at a photograph of something and it looks like a you know, normal photo, you forget that you're looking at a photo, I think, because they, that's what photos look like. They that's look right. like that. So and it's as close to reality as the engineers can make it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we've left in the hands of the scientists. Yes. They've sharpened their pencils and they've, they've, said, yeah, <laughs> they've said, oh, look look at that tint there. That's you know, that's what that's it should right. be. So I and they're only getting better, by the way. Like, yeah, they're perfection. <laughs> I know I can't. I'm still finding it pretty hard to look at digital stuff these days. It just it kind of almost hurts me to. Mm. Um, but so this looking at the lemon, I'm th thinking, well, is this? It's about if I'm taking a picture of the beach, which is just really walking down and going click, mm. but it's not. It's about going to mm. that beach for thirty years. Is putting a lemon on a bench and going click? Is that about 
just taking that frame or is that really about having looked at it for so long and thought about it and thought, well, I've tried to paint bloody, you know, pomegranates and pears and stuff and, you know, this is what I'm, this is what my photo is. Uh, how does that fit in uh, with the whole sort of process of observing? Yeah. But in the end, it's got to be something that sort of works as an image. And But how, whether or not all that process helps it work, is what I'm finding. That's what I don't think I can answer. And if yeah. I could answer it, well, I'd give up. I'd, I'd have to go and do something else. If I go, oh, solve that. Next. Yeah, next. Yeah. No, sorry. Let's make you wonder, um, and this will be the last thing because we've, we've popped over our hour. Oh, okay. Right. Um, I was just thinking that um, our conversations over the years about Henri Cartier-Bresson and his work, mm. how, how long did he look at things to understand, to fully understand it? And was that a part of, of that work? Uh, Tony Kearney, whose work was there, was mm. like, yeah, I spent two minutes with every mm. person he mm. photographed. Mm. And we're going to interview Tony and talk to him about that. Yeah. Um, and had, that was like the antithesis of everyone else there who talked about knowing the subject. And I'm sure Paris mm. was HCB's world and, and knew it inside and out. But it's almost the antithesis of the decisive moment because it's happened. It's not going to happen again. Yeah. You, you can't recreate that. You've got to be there waiting for it to happen. Well, this is what I reckon it's interesting like talk to don't let Tony tell you how he took the pictures. Interrogate him and find out how he really took them. Because when you know, there's more if, to it than there's that. There's more to it than that. Because if he says, "Oh yeah, I just walk up in two minutes, click, it's done." That's you know, if it was that easy, everyone would be doing it, and they're not. So that that's why I think these conversations are interesting. It it's much nicer if the artist is asked questions and probed rather than just, "Oh, I'm going to read my statement about what I do," which is you know, that's not very interesting. Yeah, agreed. Well, David, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful hour. It was hour. jolly good fun. Yeah. It was good sport, hey? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, hey, good luck. I can't wait to, to see what, what's next. And I think the best thing about you, you are prepared to talk about your work. It's fascinating to talk about it. And it's fascinating to, to sort of, I don't know if we've ever really argued. Um, we just jostle back and forth yeah, talking yeah. about stuff. Mm. And I think that's one of the most the most fun things about life. Mm. It's, it's great sport, isn't it? Oh, I, I always have jolly good fun when we have a chat. <laughs> good, all right. All right, then, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Welcome back, ladles and jelly spoons. That's a... And can the, can the that's a harsh thing to say. Can the listeners hear the, this, this, the puppy... The lonely he Frank is sitting he on your lap. He oozes and and groans a lot. He's like bagpipes. You give him a squeeze. <laughs> 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 he really is. He's so cute. No, he's um, yeah. So um. So David's process the David's the painting yes. and the photography and the painting the overlay the um and the the sort of the fascination with all the bits that made up the end product you know yeah. all of the uh, elements that come together and the idea of that fractal idea when you're going closer and closer mm. to see these building blocks and that fascination he's got with it i think and this sort of endless curiosity uh for processes oh, i amazing. loved his um i haven't found anything good in a pixel yet <laughs> i'm like what do i ever feel that They're pretty clinical and unlike you know a tube of paint that yes someone has made the paint and you can well, trace it back to that with a pixel, all the hands that have gone to make that pixel work. Yeah, but all the, all the hands years. that have gone to make that pixel work are not visible. I mean, I had a, 
uh, extremely charismatic design teacher when I was at design school and he used to just rail against computers. Like it was like getting pissed off at the rain. It's just like such a waste of time. Yeah, y- it was like yelling at the clouds. Yeah, something like that. And he used to say, well, you can't pick up a laptop and tear it in half and see what it looks like. You know, you can't, you can't, you can pick up a, you can pick up a piece of paper and tear it in half and see if it changes, and you mm. can see it in an instant. And I think, I think actually, what's the bigger point on that is, you know, there's a, there's an accidental aspect of the analog that you can't achieve with the digital because digital is so, it's so sort of controlled and so. Um, you know, it, and that's what people love about it is that they go, well, I put A into B and C spits out. I also love end. the command Z, the undo. Yeah, the undo and the 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 like. It's always going to shoot exactly like this and all the rest of it. You you have all of that with digital, which is great, right up until you don't want it and you want an accident or you want something unexpected or you want something that has an element of nature to it that is, you know, do you, what was that? Um, it was forever ago. They won some sort of prestigious art war- award, and everybody got so fucking pissed off because it, essentially the artist got a, a five by uh, some some sort of large format um, uh, film yeah. negative, and she had her grandmother mark it. That's right, and scratch pro- it up. Yeah. yeah, and she processed it, and she won this prestigious award and I thought it was so beautiful and so lovely because you have the idea of just the art being about the medium you know purely in that sense um that it's not about using the medium to express a whole lot of other stuff it's just that the medium is part is the it's like those huge you know big splodges of paint on on the Mm. on the canvas the the paint is the thing you're talking about. And so. that's the thing. Photographers couldn't handle it because they couldn't – they were so wrapped up and this is their their tool for their technique. They didn't think the tool itself could become the art. Yeah. And uh, and that's what I think when I, I, um, uh, CCP, we were at their uh, – one of their events and I was talking to um, – G. To know Gavin, Gavin, and because I can't remember like my own name. Um, What's your name? I don't know. We're going to uh, change it to Cake after that show we watched tonight. <laughs> yes, we are. Cake to Cake. And Gavin was like, "I've never heard. I've never seen a bunch of artists that paint standing around talking about their brushes, standing around talking, comparing their paint. It's just not a thing." But it seems to be a thing in the photographic industry that people are like, oh, "I've got a fifty-two to a forty-seven and a, you know, Nikon 700 to 50, blah, 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 and wank, wank, who gives a shit? Because it, it is also still, at the end of the day, about something other than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's strangely enough that we've hovered around this because the moment of colour is actually a question I wanted to ask you. The moment of colour. Frank's already already snoring. Oh, isn't that lovely? Him? No, I can't. But the, the moment of colour, I was going to ask you about about you know being creative and the creative moment uh, and that sort of being able to switch switching on a bit of creativity for someone who's not typically a creative person hang on she's putting the microphone down to the dog snoring 
<laughs> I, hope, I hope the listeners heard that. that. Did it catch it? I don't think it caught it. Oh, it may not have heard. Oh, it. it's so good. But yeah, um, I was gonna because I was curious. Like David seems to be endlessly challenged by creativity and wanting to create and make, and I don't feel like I've got a creative bone in my body. And you, you know, back on the roof, Tuck Art School, they were basically putting kids of all different kinds. I mean. The, Wealthy Eastern Suburbs parents jam their kids into Ruth Tuck to encourage their artistic side. Where do you start with that? Like, as a grown-up, how do I get more creative? All these photographers that we talked about were complaining about a second ago. Well, the thing with about the, talking about their the lenses and not talking about the, the and painters not talking about their brushes. Where your mo- moment of colour is? Where do we start thinking creatively and become? Well, well, I think, I mean, I don't think that Ruth Tuck's a good example because I think Ruth, you could criticise Ruth Tuck quite severely with, tre- you know, teaching a very specific style that a lot of kids just would replicate and go home with mummy and daddy. and Prescriptive. Have, yeah, and I've had to knock their colour rules right out of my head. It's taken me decades to get, get that out of me. Um, but don't you start with, with those rules? No, not necessarily. Uh, that's a bigger bigger question, but I think... What you're talking about is like how do you as a commercial photographer, quote unquote, meaning, you know, weddings, parties, anything, um, how do you become more artistically creative is what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, this is something I struggle with because I, I could never be an artist, fine art artist because… What's a fine art artist? Well, somebody who's who's working on work that is not not purely commissioned work. So… Isn't all art stuff that's not been commissioned? What do you mean? There's one definition. No, it's not really, is it? No, because there's a lot of artists that will do a lot of commission So fine artists just doing stuff on for the because they love it and hoping to sell it. Yeah, so like not. a commercial artist is is you you're making stuff that is about other things, not just art. Like so, an artist is making a piece that is just an art piece. Right. A commercial artist like me, if you want to call me a commercial artist or a graphic designer. I am creating. Well, can an illustrator could be a commercial artist? Yeah, yeah, but the illustrator is generally producing something for a commercial product or a commercial, um, you know, piece that's going to go hand in hand with graphic designers' work. That is to then sell something, or that is in a more practical. It's a practical thing. Yeah. So that's why, like, there's a an, a designer in in the states who has this whole rant that. We should never be called creatives because it's not about creativity. It's about problem solving. It's about applying techniques and all that sort of stuff. So it's 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 quite a different thing. Um, and, you know, I mean, they can bleed all over the place, sure. But I think what you're saying is how do you get, you know, somebody who's shooting mums and bubs all day or shooting weddings or whatever – to do more, to be more creative. And that for me, it always comes back to going to an art gallery. Like you have to go to an art gallery. and So that it's that, it's that fe- what you're uh, consuming, yeah, what you're taking Yeah, it's going in. back to the first episode of this show. Was it the first episode? Cy Moore and his, his photography diet. Yeah. Um, but if you go to an art gallery, I think, again, this is what I've always I have yelled about for years is not looking at photography. 
Yeah. And I know that Gavin probably won't like that, but I don't think that if no, you Gavin if you want to produce something that's different, don't keep looking at the same shit and don't keep looking at bloody at, at photography and don't keep looking at fucking Instagram feed full of your peers. Yeah. Um and that I, and that I think is the only way to do it. I mean, I struggle because I can't not have a brief. You know, like I need someone to walk That's very in. common though for a for a, a a creative individual, like if that they really like the, you've always said the biggest fear is having a blank canvas. Yeah, I know, but there's a lot of artists that have a you know most vast majority of artists have a, a point of view of something they're trying to express, and you know there's that can run all the way through to the I have to produce this because it's in my soul and you know all that stuff. Yeah. That's great. I love those people. I wish I was one of those people, but I'm just not. Yeah. Um. I mean, I need creativity, but I think creativity is a much broad for me a much broader thing than than slopping paint around. Um, so I don't know. I, it, I for me, it's it's brief driven. So I have to have a brief that I'm working towards, and then I will be creative around that. And if that's how you are as well, I think there are ways of doing that where you can get, you know, you can go, okay, I want to produce something that is art focus that is about X subject and that can be your brief. I think that's what David's doing is that he goes, I, I mean, here's a story that I want to tell. This is my view of the Fluria. I want to s- say what I feel about the place. But he finds so many different ways of doing it and he doesn't seem to tire of doing it. And that I, I don't know if you saw the video of the road trip. Uh, I, I must show it to you, but he, he made a little... Uh, long dragging photographs of a journey back from one part. Yeah, they sound it? beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. And and he had his wife's cello playing over it oh, wow. with a piece that was that was written in Australia by an Australian composer. Mm. And it was a beautiful two-minute little thing, but he just had to stop the car, get out and take photos and make yeah. it. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's some people that are really wanting to do that all the time and there's some people that kind of force themselves into Because I think a lot of photographers would like to be more quote-unquote creative. Mm. And I just was hoping that that there might be a starting point that we could suggest to people. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's very difficult to, if you have, if you kind of, I think often this happens where you go, oh, I've seen this thing and I really, I'm so inspired, I really want to just do that thing. You know, I want to replicate it. Yep. Um, and how I always, when I was a teacher of design kids, I would always go now, you know, you've seen that thing, you really want to do that thing and you want to just replicate exactly what that thing is. So do that. Because so repli- that's an exercise. Yeah, so you replicate it, you get it out of your system so you can then get something better. Yeah. Um. And that leads to somewhere else. Yeah, well, hopefully it does. Um, I mean, I, unfortunately, a vast majority of, or not vast majority, but there is a lot of work out there that is very derivative of everybody else and everybody else is... Well, how can it not be? Yeah, I mean, I know, I know. I mean, we so, only started doing art for ourselves, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is tricky, but I, I think it's... it's um, I think it's also about repetition to a degree Um, and, you know, like that classic project that I had when I was in uni, I had to produce 50 examples of the essence of a camel and so I drew a camel out of sand and I took a photo of a camel and I, 
made a camel out of this, that, and the other. All the rest of it, I did one of pears, um, which I still got. The book, the book of pears. Yeah, the book Nothing of pears. to do with camels, but it was about the essence of yeah, pears. Yeah, yeah, totally. So there's, so it could be that you know, like DJ talks about just shooting four year olds. Yeah. Um, you know, is it is it one specific thing? Um, you know, how many different ways can you shoot the baby bump? You know, and and just that and nothing else. And so giving yourself restrictions and giving yourself, um, you know, boundaries to push against, I think, forces creativity as well. Little 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 challenges. I mean, David spoke about he sets the exhibition date yeah. and he books the thing, and then he said he's got holy hell. I got to make it, and he works back. He sets his timeline and go well a week before I've got to be hanging. So a week before, week before, and that's his driver yeah. is this setting a little goal, a short term. Yeah, I mean, I tend to do that a bit as well with like projects here at the lab, trying to go. Okay, I want, I want to get it done by this date, and I never make it. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, you're still shooting for a date. Yeah. What's the whole line? If you don't shoot for the moon, you'll never hit the stars. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So I, I don't know. I think that's, I think that's probably a good, a good, yeah, cool thing. Um, and you know, talking to people, other creative people outside of your industry, like paint artists, sculptors, architects, musicians, um, you know, and how they work. You know, interestingly enough, you as a photographer, you could choose to go and photograph creatives at work and yeah. in the process because effectively a, a little photo essay is, is kind yeah. of an interview yep. and the process you're getting that story definitely yeah cool that was your moment of color how that was, was that? a moment of color boy you fucking cheated on that i know you really cheated no no i really meaning to ask you that question because i thought it was really valuable so anything i know you said that you wanted to mention to the folks that you are organizing to set up a station for Skype sessions to to help our our wonderful clients using yeah, our ordering about, software yeah, and that sort so of stuff. Yeah, so we're thinking about doing complimentary Skype sessions that people can um, come and talk to our beautiful, beautiful Dana, and um, basically be able to have a session where she can walk you through installing and placing an order on Rose. And because she really loves Rose, she loves Rose. She's, She's like, like the, Rose is the, the best thing on the planet and i think she is completely adorable and so she <laughs> she can do no wrong uh so she um she came up with the idea because she's a fucking genius and um she's perfect for it because she is literally the most extroverted person i've ever met even including you she may be more extroverted she is a female version of you mm. i've decided interesting she's gentle and kind and sweet and lovely anyway so People should um, keep an eye out. We'll, we will get it all set up and then people can start booking in for it. Unfortunately, she doesn't as yet work for us full time. I'm trying as hard as I can to plough her very successful wedding and family photography business into the ground. <laughs> so she is forced to work for us full time. Yeah, but well, I it's can't. not going to happen. She's too I know. She's talented. too good. That's the problem. I Lovely. The problem. Well, there you go. How about so all that? That'll be fun. That'll be fun. I think it's a great idea. The few times that we've run things, particularly like David's done a couple of sessions where he's he's shared with a remote artist uh, his screen, looking at their work, talking about what he feels is important and what and how to adjust and edit yeah. the file to get the best out of the printing. So there's been um, you know there's been quite. You a don't bit mean David Hume. You mean David here at the lab. David Hobbs. Yeah, 
yeah. Uh, so that it's worked for us a couple of times in that respect. Yeah. And um, I think there's something about that extra element. I mean, the voice is great talking to people back and forth, but actually mm. showing them something and yeah. having them to talk about. And it's I think we're thing. we're all sort of um, Skype capable in a way. We never have now. Been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we're all kind of doing it. So I think it's probably good timing. Um, yeah. And Dana's adorable and will make you feel like a genius. She's great. Yeah. So. Excellent. Well, everybody, that's the uh, end of this and episode. we've already had dinner. We've had dinner. What did we have? We had the most amazing Mexican, like my whole mouth is a party going on with everything. <sighs> we had all the salsas. and we had the black rice. We're trying really hard to ease our way away from white girl Mexican because we are very this white. This is full on. We are going as 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 far away from it. You as even possible. pickled your own onions. I pickled some onions. I got a whole lot of fancy shit from the the Mexican shop, yep. not just the supermarket, the actual Mexican shop. The one, I'm the one Mexican the shop in the southern hemisphere. I'm using the adobo or whatever it is sauce. I made a salsa. Yep, you cooked it on there the charcoal grill. A lot of jalapenos grill. floating around. Yeah, it's really good. It was excellent. A lot so of coriander. We've eaten that. We've watched an episode of Chef. Chard. Chard with corn. Roy Choi yes. cooking desserts. Yes, Chef. If you haven't watched Chef. As the Chef the Movie is one thing. John Favreau and Roy Choi. Chef the gorgeous and, and very sweet. That's great. This is the series chef that the series. came off the end yeah. of it. Yeah. It's, it's really on Netflix. Great. On Netflix. Good good times. And you will celebrate food when you watch that show. Yeah, Paul Paul is just like, if anyone just heard Paul, you'd think something real dodgy was going on. <laughs> anyway, let's leave these lovely people and bid them adieu and we'll until Frankie next time. Frankie to bed. Frankie needs sleep or fat like our daughters that's oh they'll never fucking sleep I don't know see everybody bye next time bye